0: The social screen drives podcast. The social screen drives podcast. The social screen podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet.
1: Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 30 of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I am your host, Andy Compton, and today on the show we have a very special guest. Her name is Suzanne Griffin. Many of you probably know Suzanne from Twitter. She is quite active and a great supportive voice in the community. I'm just killing time right now as I try to pull up her profile so I can tell you that her handle is at SuzanneGriffin1. Um, She's awesome. We've been friendly since like 2020, probably kind of coming up in this journey together. And just recently, Suzanne made, you know, one of the biggest jumps that an, an up and coming screenwriter can make. She landed her first manager. And it's a really big deal. We're all super happy for her. And I wanted to grab her in this moment just to kind of talk about, you know, what it feels like and how it all came about. And, you know, of course, learn about her journey. And she I've been wanting to bring her on for a while. And I'm actually really glad that this happened this way so that we have something fun to talk about. Um, so I'll let you learn more about Suzanne here in a minute. I do just want to tell you guys that um, you know, I want to annoy you one more time that uh, a short film that I wrote and directed called Captcha is available on YouTube. We're so close to 10k views, and that's kind of when I'm going to stop being super annoying about it. I think we have like like 9,950 or something, so we're like 50 views away. So if you haven't watched it yet, please help us out and watch it. You know, hit the thumbs up on it, share it, Uh, just trying to spread this thing far and wide. And if you want to, you can watch my other short film, Ethan and Edna. That's also on my YouTube channel and also subscribe to me on YouTube if you're not subscribed. Um, that said, guys, also, if you want to donate to this podcast, if you like what you hear, you can do that at the Linktree link at Social Writer Pod. Um, you can, it's in our bio. Um, click that and there's a PayPal link and you can donate and buy me a cup of coffee or something. That would be really cool. Uh, And if you like what you hear in this episode, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram, share something smart that Suzanne said, share something dumb that I said, just trying to spread this thing far and wide. And I really, really, really appreciate all the support, guys. It's really awesome to see any time that this dumb little podcast I do in my bedroom brightens someone's day or give someone some piece of information that's helpful to them. So I really appreciate it let's keep it going let's jump into this episode with suzanne griffin okay we're recording suzanne griffin thank you so much for coming on the show today
2: thank you for having me andy it's great to be here
1: good to hear it yeah so i'm sure a lot of you who listen to the podcast and are on twitter probably know suzanne um, you're pretty active in the Twitter community. I like to think that you're a pretty positive ray of light in the community, and we we <laughs> yeah, need <thanks>. those. Uh, <laughs> and you recently celebrated your own win, which we're all super happy about for you. You landed a manager.
2: Yes, I did. It happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's wonderful. I know. And That's wonderful. How... Uh, I'm very happy with the person that uh, I'm with, too. Uh, yeah. Gavin Dorman at Schemer's. He's just a great guy. And I feel really fortunate.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I know. It's uh, that's I, I'm not much ahead of you in getting repped. And it's just like that weight comes off your shoulders as an unrepped writer, just trying to like get that first big break. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm so happy for you. That's amazing.
2: Thank you. And congratulations to you, too.
1: Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much.
2: That's pretty recent as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, not too long ago. So yeah, it's yeah, things are things are going well. Um, and, you know, to everyone listening, if you aren't quite there yet, it happens. It's just keep showing up, keep doing the work, keep trying to be positive and it'll just happen. Um, it's Absolutely. it's a crazy feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to mention you have I was reading your bio and I saw there's a couple really, really impressive things. So first off, for people listening, uh, just a little bit about Suzanne, um, you are a 2022, is that Women in Film, WIF?
2: Yes, that's right, Women in Film,
1: yeah. Yeah, Women in Film, Writer circle, mentee, uh, Suzanne creates dramas whose fierce, witty protagonists risk everything to reinvent themselves and the world around them. She has a passion for provocative female characters who fully explore the power of their agency, You are a here comes the list, an impressive list. (laughs) Uh, You're a Stowe Story Labs fellow. You are a Sundance episodic semifinalist, a two time nickel semifinalist, winner of Film Market Hub's pilot of the month, six eights on the blacklist, six separate eights. That's kind of weird to say
0: six eights on the (laughs) blacklist, not
1: not a 68. That doesn't happen. Uh, and then you are also a graduate you have an mfa in film from nyu um yes. really just an impressive background and um yeah it's just a uh, really really an honor to have you on the podcast today um i wanted to start at the top though at the beginning so suzanne how'd you get into screenwriting
2: uh yeah so i um I was not the kid who was running around with a film camera when I was seven, you know, believing I was going to be a filmmaker someday. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad was a costume designer, so um, Mm -hmm. it was a very arts oriented family. And, you know, I, I grew up thinking I would have a career in the arts, but I didn't know what it would be um but i loved all those things my dad loved the theater and loved old movies and uh we were very i grew up in northern new jersey but we were very like new york centric because he worked at cbs for 40 years so oh wow um, I, I you know i loved books with a house full of books and records and uh, uh so i when i went to school i studied english lit and art i made performance pieces and sculptures and I wrote poetry and, uh, you know, when it came time to get, graduate, I didn't really know what I was going to do, like how was I, I was going to combine this. I knew I didn't want to be a, have a profession where I was going to be alone all the time.
0: <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I didn't think I could just,
2: uh, even though novelists do have social lives, but I thought, you know, just being in a room only writing or being in my studio making art, Mm -hmm. somehow didn't feel right and a professor sculpture professor suggested what about film school you know Mm -hmm. because everything you do has this narrative content you're always telling stories um and there you get to combine you know, like your visual sense and your love of stories and characters so i thought oh okay nyu has a film program don't
0: they
2: it's like a little bit before that huge sort of like burst of everybody wanting to go to film school and it becoming like a really hot item. So it was still yeah. more this pokey little school on the Lower East Side that had that history with Scorsese and, uh, you know, people who were several years ahead of me, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like Jim Jarmusch or Susan Seidelman or Spike Lee. Yeah, um, yeah. So just a few knew- names
1: that some of you yeah, might have heard of, maybe. Yeah, those big people. So I thought, <laughs> yeah.
2: oh, NYU, that sounds like a great place to go. So I, as I went and I fell in love, I fell in love with filmmaking there because they just throw you in the deep end. You're expected just to go out with a 16 millimeter camera mm-hmm. the first week and start shooting a story and telling it visually. They had a huge emphasis on visual storytelling. They even hampered you in terms of recording audio. So it would make the film more visual. Um, mm. And I think that was a great way to learn, even though I love writing dialogue. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I made lots of short films. And I probably worked on 30 or 40 student films as well in every capacity, mm-hmm. which was, I think, also great training because you look at how a film gets made from so many different uh, points of view uh, in oh, terms yeah. of of the crew. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I, when I came out of school, um, I needed to work. I had, you know, I had debt from film school and moving to LA wasn't an option. So, um, I worked in film editing in New York and Mm -hmm. film and video. And I did all kinds of editing, everything from docs to commercials, to student films, to Indies. Um, and it was great training because, um, Editing is just really analogous to writing. You know, you're mm-hmm. just rewriting the story again. Yes. Uh, and it taught me a lot. I, I was able to learn from other people's mistakes, you know, but of course, every every film that's shot is rewritten. Uh, uh, where to get into a scene, where to get out of a scene, you know, what did, what you really need to tell a character's emotional arc. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was really, really great training. But I always knew that I wanted to be on the writing side of it. My grand ambition wasn't to be an, an editor, even though I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just kept writing screenplays. In school, you're really trained to write shorter work, at least NYU at that time, mm-hmm. because it was something you were going to go out and make. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't spend a lot of time writing feature scripts. So sure. I had to sort of teach myself to do that, you know, read the books and look at films and see where things happen, you know, in the structure of a film um, and started writing uh, features. And then I, I, uh, I won an award sure. from the independent feature project, which is now the Gotham. It was, uh, it was a, a definitely a, um, A kind of fuck it script, you know, just something I decided I wanted to write because it was a fantasy, female driven set in uh, Renaissance Italy. But it's a a Italy of the imagination Mm -hmm. um, with people flying through the air, a cathedral collapsing. You know, I just didn't concern myself with (laughs) who might make this or what the budget was going to be. I just thought I I want to do something big because at school you're, you're constrained to doing something within your budget, really, really small. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but then it won this award and I had these great people on the jury. I had Mary Herron and uh, I had, uh, you know, American psycho and I had Jay Cox who wrote a few scripts with Scorsese. And I thought, Oh gosh, maybe I can actually do this, you know, And, and I can, I can take it. Not myself seriously but take the work seriously and and keep at this mm-hmm. um and not be a, not be a dilettante uh so mm-hmm. i continued writing uh feature scripts uh you know i was i did become a nickel semi-finalist with one screenplay mm-hmm. um a fellow who's an independent producer derek sang optioned one of my early feature films and even though it didn't go anywhere that was like another thing that just gave me this uh, momentum you know believing you know that people believed in me and my stories Mm -hmm. Um, and then I had my son and so the amount of time I could focus on screenwriting changed Mm -hmm. Um, he has a learning disability but the but the happy ending is that he's in college and he's doing great. And he's actually a really good nonfiction writer and he's a good poet too. I'm so proud of him because he's, he's such a good writer. Uh, Oh,
1: great. He got it from his mom. (laughs) That's awesome.
2: I don't know know where he got it from, but um, yeah, it's really great to see because, you know, he was at a place where teachers were saying like, I'm not sure he can get through middle school in a mainstream school, but he did. Mm And, uh, so I just switched to writing in the middle of the night, but, you know, I, I was able to keep working, probably mm-hmm. not as much output as I would have had if my time were all my own, but, um, sure. but, uh, you know, you know, but being a mother has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. And,
0: uh,
2: mm-hmm. uh I think it's totally enriched my work and, uh, brought something new to it that I wouldn't mm-hmm. have had otherwise. And um, when my son was turning the corner uh, and becoming more independent, had his strategies in place for school, he said, Mom, now it's time for you to go and sell your screenplays. <laughs> so, no way. Like, oh, yeah, that's sweet. He, he, he said <laughs> that. And uh, I was like, okay, thank
1: mm-hmm. you. And, yeah. <laughs> you have permission now.
2: Yeah, I had permission. <laughs> I was like, oh, good, okay, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. He's like a really good advocate for me. Um,
1: oh, that's great!
2: So I threw myself back in, and I s- found Stowe Story Labs. Um, I I had a script that was a quarter finalist for the Page Awards, mm-hmm. and they and Stowe had a relationship with them. You're allowed to submit for their lab. I didn't know anything about it, and uh, David Rocchio, who's the founder, a great great guy, great uh-huh. advocate for writers. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, encouraged me, you know, to apply and accept, uh, you know, a scholarship, partial scholarship to attend. Uh, I was really unsure because I think, you know, when you're, when you're a parent and you've been sort of out of the mix for a while, you know, you haven't been going to festivals, you haven't been meeting a lot of people, you wonder whether you're worth investing in. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad I did because I, my community of peers, you know, fellow writers and filmmakers just exploded. Now I had mentors where I hadn't had a mentor for, you know, for 20 years. And, uh, and yeah, it was just a great turning point. Um, I started elevating all the scripts I'd written, rewriting stuff, writing new screenplays. So, um, yeah. So in the past three years it's really taken off from there. So that that's that's sort of my very long <laughs> journey to, you know, where I am now.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So that was three years ago Stowe happened for you?
2: So, no, actually I think the first time I went to Stowe was no, it's six years ago. It was 2017. Six. Yeah. Okay. So cool. my, my son was still in school, so it was kind of gradual ramping up when he went to went off to college two years ago, then I felt like, you know, every day is mine now. And I, I can, you know, yeah, work all day and work all night.
0: <laughs> right. Right. If you so please <laughs> to
2: run myself into the ground. Uh, yeah. but I, I think really, yeah, it's really the past two, three years that I've been sort of completely, you know, back into it again. And then there's a sort of a bobble there with COVID as well, you know, and my son was home and so, as we we all know, life was really different for that yeah. that year or so. but um but yeah. I still managed to write a pilot in that time. and <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, so it's been um it's been a really happy few years getting back into the groove again.
1: Yeah. I love to hear that. Yeah. And I think it's about three years ago, probably when you and I sort of first started started interacting, it was 2020 ish. And yeah, you were one of the first screenwriters probably that I started being friendly with. Um, There's a handful of us and we're kind of still around, you know, like, I think like Gabe Braxton was one of my first friends on there, but then like Lisa J and like Edith Rodriguez was around and Guy Crawford and, you know, all those people. And, there was a kind of a little, a little crew there. And, um, yeah, it was really cool finding community in that time for me. You know, I, I knew screenwriters in my area in St. Louis, I haven't gone to film school, but it, it was kind of a different thing getting on Twitter and meeting some people who were like really, really going for it, you know, in a big way. And, and it, it sucks that you have to kind of put your money where your mouth is. If, You want to be a contest person and um, but I did and I was willing to. And obviously you were as well. Um, I, I don't love the pay to play system, but also it can be of benefit. And it's how I ended up getting a manager. So it can work. Um, but you know, you gotta, you gotta be careful out there as I'm sure you've learned. We've probably both made mistakes and giving money to contests that we probably shouldn't have, <laughs> but, um, it happens. It's all a learning. It's a, it a
2: learning curve. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why I like on this podcast too, I try my best to like give out advice about that stuff because, um, there's definitely tips that I think you and I both wish we would have known, uh, earlier on, but, um, isn't that writing? Uh, yeah, so absolutely. So, so, Suzanne, how would you describe your quote unquote brand?
2: Yeah, my brand, I think it's what you read before. It's yeah, I kind of
1: read it up top, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
2: It's this dark. I, I love I love drama. I write drama, I write TV pilots and features. I love work that's darkly romantic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's erotic, mm-hmm. um dangerous worlds, worlds that are on an edge. Uh It's absolutely centered in female agency, female Mm -hmm. ambition, Mm -hmm. uh, characters who it's definitely character driven. All the action comes out of, even if it's it's very propulsive action, like adventure, it all comes out of character. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, I, I, I love something that's edgy, but the characters who are, um, wholly relatable as well, you know, that Mm -hmm. don't walk on as, you know, uh, female heroes. Um, They have to be deeply flawed characters to be interesting to me. They have Mm -hmm. to be damaged, you know, and uh, I think that this journey uh, um, into discovering one's own sense of empathy or developing one's own sense of empathy is something that it happens to all my characters. It's a journey they all go on. Mm-hmm. It's developing their empathy because you can't sort of have agency in a bubble. Um, mm-hmm. I think women know this too. And I'm as you were saying, finding your peers on on Twitter. It's so much of it is about these alliances that we form with other people, you know, mm-hmm. who are on a similar journey, a similar path. Um
0: mm-hmm.
2: so a lot of my stories deal with Found families and unlikely alliances between very different people, but who are on a similar journey to healing or reinventing themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that would be my that would be my brand.
1: I love that. Yeah, that that last part too about found family and. Unlikely alliances in a journey of healing or whatever it is that that definitely describes a lot of my work, too. I, I love stuff like that. It's um, it's the human experience, isn't it? It's life.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yes.
1: Yeah. So let's get into like how you write. So since everyone's writing routine is different and unique, can you kind of describe your regular writing routine to me? Like, you know, you said for a while there you were writing in the middle of the night. Uh, now you're kind of throughout the day, but I'm wondering, you know, do you prefer morning or night? You know, do you write in an office? Do you go to a coffee shop? Do you have a drink? Do you have a coffee? You know, what's it usually like when you sit down to write?
2: Uh, yeah. So, so now that I have my days back, um, I do write during the day. Mm-hmm. I I do still write at night too. I, find, I, I got into that habit when I had a child and, uh, I do love the night because emails aren't coming in. Yeah. Uh, although I have a lot of West Coast friends who will be texting me <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. at right. three
2: in the morning here. But yeah. uh, uh, so I can be social at three in the morning if I want to. Um, sure. um, but I think daytime is kind of, it's a lot of the more of the chore oriented or task oriented parts of writing. So it's just, you know, writing the scene, uh, doing the rewrites, tightening something up, all the, those kind of general tasks of writing. I find night is is more the inspiration yeah. part of writing. It's when I have like the big breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, just, I'm not just sort of grinding through and pushing through. Uh, now my brain is totally free because I don't have to think of, about all my daily human tasks or emails and I can just have those big thoughts about, Oh, what if I took that scene that's in the third act and I it's now the first scene in the, in, you know, the script, how mm-hmm. does that change everything? Um, yeah. So I think I do more of that breakthrough kind of stuff. I get more um, daring, you know, at night, I take the bigger risks at night. So I may yeah. not be grinding out the pages, but I, I'm, I'm doing like the bigger thinking. Uh, Yeah, I can.
1: Sure. I can so relate to that. Yeah, I think there's something to it. Like, you know, as we wind down towards the end of our day, like, and get closer and closer to the subconscious. I don't know. There's something about like getting closer to that dream world. This is very hippy dippy stuff on my part. But oh, like, no, no,
2: no. I'm yeah. totally hippy dippy when it comes to that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's something about
1: that. And like, you know, for years I would try to force myself to do, like you said, the creative writing, all of the writing. I didn't really break it up. I would all try to do it all in the morning. And, um, you know, the further I've gotten into it, the more I find like, you know, picking up the laptop at like 9 p.m. and just going at it for a little bit. Yeah, I guess, you know, I never thought of it this way until you said it, but I totally agree. I'm a little more daring. Um, I'm just not thinking with, you know, well, that wouldn't structurally work here. Like, you know, um, I don't know if that's a marketable idea or, you know, (laughs) does that affect the tone of the movie too much? Just kind of going for it and being like, whoa, I don't think I've seen that before. That's nuts. I should try that.
2: Right. Um, I think that's yeah. your best writer self is that some sub- subconscious writer. I mean, you yeah. have to be the other practical writer and do all that kind of chory stuff too. But mm-hmm. um, I feel like like the night, the night is yours, you know, and you're just mm-hmm. alone with anything you want to do, you know, and Great thing about being an adult. You can stay up all night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. You Uh, You don't have to sneak around.
2: Something like transgressive of being up late and being a writer, you know? Yeah, there is. It's like The the cool thing you wanted to do when you were a kid (laughs) and now you get to do it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Now we just pay for it the next day in exhaustion, but we'll pay for it. We'll worry about that when we get there. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So, let's talk about your writing process. So like, let's say you have a brand new idea. What's the first thing you're doing? Are you jumping into an outline? Do you write a log line? Do you write a title? Um, do you just start writing pages? What What's the first thing you usually do?
2: I think I've done all those things yeah. over time. I mean, because I've been writing for a while. Uh, I mm-hmm. think when I was younger, I had an idea of a character Um you know, sort of where the first act would end, where the second act would end and what's sort of your final image, you know, where does your character end up? And I would just mm. start writing. I didn't do a huge much, a huge amount of prep work. I often had false starts, but I enjoyed that sense of a cliffhanger every day mm. where, you know, I just completely you know, check my disbelief and I I believe these characters are real and they're going to mm-hmm. tell me where they're going the next day. And I'm like, mm-hmm. really excited to see what the next scene is. I think mm-hmm. now, uh, I have, I have changed, uh, especially writing TV pilots. I think it's a bit, maybe a bit different from features, but, um, now I do a ton of prep work. Now mm-hmm. I'm asking, I'm now I'm asking all those classic questions, you know, um, you know, what is my character's wound and what is their flaw? What do they really want? Most of all, um, what are the obstacles? How are they going to overcome them? Um, what is the interior interior emotional arc of the pilot? What's the emotional arc of the season of season one? Uh, what's the exterior goal of season one is what's the exterior goal of the pilot. So I do all of that. And, um, I write very detailed uh, character studies. So Mm -hmm. all of their backstory um, Mm -hmm. from, you know, from birth, you know, where, where did they come from? What, uh, what is their, what is their wound? You know, what is the big event that happened before we pick up the story that's Mm -hmm. coloring their entire journey? Um, I want to know everything about them. Everything about all their relationships, all the people that matter to them. So I'm already creating all the triangles, all the relationships, everything that's going to matter to that person in their journey. So I'm very, very clear then um, about where I'm dropping into the story. You know, that it's Mm. going to, from that moment, I'm going to be right into the emotional arc of the character because we're going to know that something that damaged them uh, you know is coloring their journey going forward and we know exactly what they want and what they're up against um, right. but that said, uh, there is a moment before that um, when you don't even know who your character is and uh, I have made lists of titles, just titles that I find intriguing mm-hmm. so, like my latest pilot, it was just a title, the age of desire. I just Mm -hmm. love that title. I didn't know what this story would be. And it sat on a list for a long time. And then Mm -hmm. I was in this Jen Crisanti seminar and I had to come up with like a pitch within a few days. And so I took that title and very quickly found a story. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's useful having those, um, Lists of titles or the Chocolate Kaczynski, which people have probably seen on Twitter. It's my drama short. Mm-hmm. I just always loved that title. I had no idea what the story would be. And then I found the characters. Um, so, yeah, I do make lists of characters. Um, sometimes it's visual images that get me started. Mm-hmm. Um, one pilot, it was, I just found this um, page out of an old Harper's um you know from like 1898 and it was just these images of men and their sort of vices Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the turn of the century it just got me thinking about like this world and these men and what is that about and where do women fit in this world Mm -hmm. So that got me started um so yeah i think really it's it's organic you know you have you have a visual image, you have a character, you have a title, you have a sense of a world and all these things sort of start to come together. Um, And then I begin to write a pitch or a kind of mini Bible, you know, that is going to allow me to see where I go with the pilot episode, what I need in that pilot episode to launch this character in this world. Um, So that's my process now is a lot of preparation.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, when you do these extensive character bios, are you doing that mainly for the protagonist and just the lead cast, or are you really like doing this for kind of all the characters that appear?
2: Um, I'll do it for most of my stories. There are triangles, so hmm. probably the primary three or four characters. Sure. Um, and writing more about the, you know, the two main characters, uh, perhaps more than the others. But yeah, I, I will do in-depth bios for three or four characters. But yeah. you also asked about just writing scenes. I also do that. I mean, mm. I, I think a lot of the ways that I get into finally actually writing it, because at mm. some point you do have to like, just write a scene... And often yeah. you feel like oh, I've forgotten how to do that. How did I write all this? <laughs> right. And everybody has that moment of doubt when you start again. Yeah. Uh, so I dialogue is a great way to get in. Um, Agreed. Just get you, your two main characters talking. And uh, often you find the tone, you find their voices. Mm-hmm. And once you find their voices, then you can write you know, begin to write scenes. So yes, I have written scenes. I've written out of order. If I have a moment of inspiration, I'm definitely going to run and write that down, whether or not that's the scene I'm writing now, or if I've even begun the screenplay, you know, because Mm -hmm. it always becomes a part of it eventually, you know, Mm -hmm. it becomes a kind of guidepost for you. So do all those things, I think.
1: Yeah. Agreed. I've, I've found In recent years that my process is becoming a little bit weird, maybe a little bit like labor intensive, but I like to get started with like an outline. I'll write like a log line just to have the nugget of information about what the story is about, like at its core. And then I'll write, you know, who are the characters a little bit about them. And I'll do a little bit of an outline with like, you know, I I still use like the save the cat kind of beat sheet type thing. Uh, I'm more writing features. I'm not too big in the TV. Um, I'm open to it, but I've only written one pilot ever. But uh, features are really where my heart is. So I'll fill in some of those beats. But then I find before I can really go too crazy on an outline, I need to just start writing. And I'll Mm. just get in and write like the opening scene and like maybe the setup, you know, like 10, 15 pages in. Mm. And then I feel like I'm comfortable going back to, but sometimes I'll write as much as the whole first act and really get it to a place that I kind of like it. And then I'm like, okay, now I can go back and do the outline in the word doc. And because I know who these people are, I know the tone of the story. It took me a long time to find that. And I thought that I was a total anti-outline person
0: um, no. and I was
1: just like a freestyle, you know, artist, but it turns out that I just have a weird process that I hadn't heard of anyone else having. And, um, but it's just that I need to get in there, find the world, find the story. And then I'm capable of going back and outlining. Cause I know who the people are and how they're going to behave in, you know, their actions.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's great. I think that's a great process. I couldn't start with an outline. I would be that would really flummox me because I wouldn't know what the scenes, were.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, even
2: if I have a log line that I really like. I, I don't actually know what's going to happen in the story, you know. So yeah. I think any entry point that, as you say, that makes you feel comfortable in the world, <clears throat> go go with that, you know, and yeah. get to know your characters however you get to know them, and mm-hmm. then it's all going to come much more easily. And besides, usually you don't stick to your outline anyway. It's a kind of a safety mm-hmm. net. Like, I, mm-hmm. okay, I kind of know where I'm going. So I feel a little more comfortable now to get started. Right. But and often you chuck, you know, parts of that. Mm-hmm. You have too much or you have too little or, you know, the scenes change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another device to guide you. You know, it's yeah. not something that's written in concrete, so...
1: Yeah, it makes uh, me fear the day that I'm offered paid work, but I have to do a treatment <laughs> up front in like two weeks. Um, I, I don't do know I'm going to swing that, but I will rise to the occasion and do something if there's a potential paycheck on the line <laughs> or yeah. just a really cool project, you know, like one of my dreams, and this is kind of weird because I'm more known as like a dramedy uh, writer, but one of my dreams would be to one day be offered like one of the classic horror films and offered to do a take on it Uh, just because I grew up on horror. I love classic horror films and um, yeah, it would just be nuts. I don't know. You know, I say that now, but then there's also kind of a ridiculous amount of pressure if you're the one who's, offered to do the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street, like an old beloved horror film that in 2010 they tried and kind of bombed and everyone Mm, hated mm, it (laughs) Um, just because, like, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Um, You know, they just did the Halloween series again, and it's really hard to please horror fans, and I'm one of them, that um, you really got to knock it out of the park, but that's like a twisted, sadistic dream of mine, like I guess, masochistic dream of (laughs) mine that I want to put myself through that. But, um, yeah
2: well why not I mean I think if it's yeah. something that you really love you know mm-hmm. because in the end it's what you're really most passionate about that's going to connect with people
1: so Agreed. if you're passionate
2: about one of these franchises because somehow it's just you know has this meaning for you you know something yeah. that you can get so excited about and you love that world mm-hmm. then why not I mean because the most exciting part of writing is when yeah you take on the the more dangerous things. I'm yeah. gonna write a horror drama for the first time. Um oh, really? so yeah, I have vampires, but it's still it's still period. It's still 19th century New York, but
0: uh-huh.
2: yeah, there's all these horror elements. And mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't done that before. I'm actually not even like a big vampire movie
0: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> fan, but I just had this vision of a certain kind of vampire world. And uh yeah. uh And it's, yeah, it's, you start throwing yourself into it. And like that, I, I just, I was suddenly under a deadline. I had to, my new manager, I soft pitched this idea and I hadn't written down a single word except a log line. Mm -hmm. And somehow, you know, like in a week and a half, I had a 10 page document with all these people with vast histories in a world with rules. And uh, sometimes pressure is a really good. (laughs)
1: you're Uh, exactly right
2: (laughs) i got off my bum and i've you know i've been soft pitching this for a while and Mm -hmm. suddenly now i have something that may have a beginning middle and end and has characters and has story and i still don't know what that pilot will look like exactly but Mm -hmm. you know now it got some momentum you know yeah Uh, have a way in so um Definitely go for all those things that scare you. I mean, what's the worst? You you know you fail with the the safe things too. So why not? You know, if you're gonna fail, fail huge. You know? Yeah, fail huge <laughs> and bold. I agree. Yeah. yeah,
1: why? I mean, and like you said, you know, passion means a lot in this industry, especially for us writers. Um, yeah. If you if 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 a writer is very passionate about the story they've written, you can usually feel it when you're reading. It's, it's a different kind of thing. It's, it's really special. So yeah, I agree. If you're passionate, go for it. And it's kind of like in life, you know, the worst thing that they can say is no. Um, so I don't know, go for it. But anyway, um, moving on though, I want to talk about, so on average, we kind of know about your process on average. How long does it take for a first draft to be complete? Again, let's say you have a brand new movie or uh, a brand new pilot idea you start the outline. So starting from there, or starting from, you know, a log line or whatever you do, character bios, starting from that point, how long does it take until you type the end on a script?
2: Well, With the last one, um, with the Age of Desire, because I was using, because I did all that prep work, it did go more quickly for me than I think, Other scripts have gone, I mean, it doesn't usually take me a huge amount of time to get to a a first, what I consider a huge amount of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I know people write scripts in a week and a half. I have no idea how they do that. Um, Yeah, me neither. Me (laughs) neither. You know, I figure I consider like three months and, you know, like a humane amount of time to write. Me too. That's a fair (laughs) amount. Yeah. So probably with The Age of Desire, I had a log line at the beginning of February and then by the middle to end of April, I had a first draft, but that's a first oh. draft, you know, the, yes. the, and that was writing in a seminar where I really, you know, the screws were, t- <laughs> it, was, it was, I had a great mentor who really yeah. inspired me. Um, and I had to deliver something every week, uh, mm-hmm. which is great because then, you know, Oh gosh, if I ever get that job where I have to deliver every week, I I can do that. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's two and a half, three months to that first draft, but then you know you're going to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, you know. Mm -hmm.
1: And we're talking about a 60 page pilot, 60-ish.
2: Yeah, 60-ish, I tend to run over, maybe 60. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. We're not gonna ding you for that here. We're all writers. (laughs) No, uh, yeah, that's cool though. Yeah, I think that's, that's a reasonable amount of time. I know for me with feature scripts, more around 100, like, yeah, first draft, four months. You know, it can take from from, and that's if I'm really chugging along from idea to let's start pre pre planning this to actually writing like four months would be pretty solid for me to type the end on a script. Um, I'm trying, like you said before, with deadlines being a good thing, I'm really trying to police myself right now more with that. I found that like once I got out of film school that part really slowed down for me in film school. I was crushing it. I wasn't writing the best stuff, but I was finishing things and uh, really just getting in there and doing the work. And um, after those deadlines stopped and it was all on me in the during the pandemic, um, man, I was taking my sweet precious time with projects and then kind of losing steam on them Mm -hmm. and losing passion and maybe second guessing myself a little bit too much. And the project would kind of fizzle out and die. Um, I'm trying really, really hard right now to be like, just do the work, push through. It's going to suck on the first go around and that's okay. Just remember what you were doing in film school. They didn't all have to be polished gems. I don't know. Like at some point since I graduated, I've gotten into this mindset of it needs to be great on the first go. And that's just not sustainable and not true. So, um, yeah, Yeah, it's setting deadlines is a great thing.
2: I have the perfectionist, um tendency to, yeah,
1: yeah. It's it's <laughs> horrible <understand>. for writers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, what I learned is writing under pressure is that there's just no time make a choice, you know, mm-hmm. don't spend two or three days thinking about the choice. Mm-hmm. Just make the best choice you can at that moment, you know, knowing yep. what you know. Yep. And, and it tends to actually work out, you know, a lot of those choices are pretty good ones. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will stay in the script, and then yeah. when you're working on nuance and rewriting screens, uh, re- rewriting scenes and uh, honing dialogue, there's time for that, you know. But now you yeah. have something you can work with. Yeah, and-, and,
1: and sometimes, like you said, you write that best idea that you can possibly think of in that moment but you get it done and then you get it in the hands of someone who reads it and gives you that note. That's something you would have never thought of. That's 10 times better, but you would have never gotten that note had you not put down the best idea at the time and got it done Something.
2: yeah so yeah
1: that's yeah i know it's funny because i'm just being a hypocrite right now i'm preaching all these positive <laughs> things that i'm not doing but um but no, we're just we're speaking it's... it into the universe right
2: <clears throat> yeah no whenever i i i've only been interviewed a few times but when i go back and read those interviews i always say gee i really have to take my own advice
1: <laughs> <laughs> i know me too i say things on this podcast all the time that i'm not practicing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs>
2: it's, so it's so easy so to funny. be negative and second guess. And yeah, yeah, I wake up a lot of mornings thinking I'm completely deluded. Why am I doing this? But then right. I go to work, you know, and that's the that's the cure. You know, it is start getting something done. Yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely. It's human nature to be, you know, second guessing. And it, it it means you're self-aware. And that's not the worst thing in the world no. um, than being blindly confident, maybe when you shouldn't be. <laughs> Um, okay. So, uh, when your first draft is complete, what's the first thing you do? Do you send it to some peers? Do you keep it for yourself for a little bit and do your own rewrite? Do you give it to a feedback service? Do you send it to your new manager or do you start entering contests? What's the first thing you do whenever your first draft is done?
2: Yeah, I think I do all those things. I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. I definitely want to send it to a mentor. you know that i've had some sort of dialogue with so you know i know them well enough that um i can speak freely i know how they think about story and mm-hmm. uh, immediately get feedback yeah i like to get notes i like to get notes from different kinds of people with different tastes not only necessarily the people I know who will be cheerleaders and say, "Oh, I love this kind of you know
0: mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. driven,
2: darkly romantic story." Maybe somebody who doesn't you know do that kind of thing at all. You mm-hmm. know, just people you know who are who are smart, who um, uh, you know, or decent folks who mm-hmm. um, are going to give you honest uh, notes, but also take the time to dialogue and, you know, try to understand where you're going with the story uh, Mm -hmm. and help help you get there. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, with Age of Desire, I um, sent it to um, execs that I found through Roadmap. I sent it to my mentor, Jen Grisanti. Uh, I did have peers uh, read it as well. Um, So, yeah, so all this and I immediately started sending it out to contest just to not thinking, okay, it's so polished, I'm definitely gonna win this contest, but just to start to vet it and get mm-hmm. a feeling of, where is it, you know, in the sort of rewrite process? Um, do I have a long way to go? Is it a matter of tweaking things? Uh, am I missing uh, scenes? Uh, so yeah, I did all those things. I do all mm-hmm. of that. I, I like yeah. to get lots of feedback, Sometimes it's, you don't want to get overwhelmed. You know, you do have to sieve through all that and mm-hmm. find what resonates with you because you'll get outlier comments like, I think it should be a completely different story and it should just be about these two characters and it shouldn't, you know, be about this at all. And you think about that and then you say, no.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> great. But I, I understand. But maybe there's that note behind that. Mm -hmm. that I need another scene, you know, that perhaps leads you into a part of the story that's not in the pilot, but needs to be in the pilot, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that the audience is missing. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I like to get uh, a fair amount of feedback as I, as I rewrite. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a really broad range. And then I think you find the notes that really make sense, and mm-hmm. then as you say, those eureka moments when someone suggests something that like should have been obvious to you, but
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: if you're the writer, isn't obvious to you. And uh, yeah. uh, you say, oh, my God, that really elevates the scene or that really starts this off so much better. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, feedback's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I don't, definitely. I don't,
2: I don't spend money on the sort of as much on um, – blind reads where I don't know who, uh, the person giving feedback is. I don't know what their taste is. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know how experienced they are. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, not that I haven't gotten random contest notes that had some value, but I prefer to know who it is so I can have a dialogue.
1: Cool. So you like have in your back pocket, like some people who do paid coverage service and you know who they are and what they're about.
2: Right, yes, that's yeah. cool.
1: i've I've actually never done that. I've done more randomized paid coverage, and your way seems probably better. Um, uh, I, like you said, I, i've got I've gotten good and I've gotten bad, but like I've also gotten really bad before from paid coverage, and it sucks,
2: yeah. I mean, I yeah. think even if you get notes from someone who you know isn't on the same page with you or has, different tastes. Mm -hmm. I I find if if there's someone who's really making work all the, all the time and they're not a complete, you know, jerk, um, uh, they're going to, they're going to have some valuable feedback for you. Mm -hmm. But I -hmm. I do like, I do like that give and take because usually the first question, someone who's more like a mentor is going to ask you is, you know, why did you write this? Where did Mm -hmm. this story come from? So they're starting at a different point where they say, okay, this is what Suzanne wanted to do. This is what's really important to her in this script. And then that's, then they can give feedback. That's, you know, sort of honed to that, uh, Mm -hmm. to what it is you want to accomplish. Um, Mm -hmm. I just like the human element of that too, of give and take.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) For sure. It's good to establish those relationships. Um, Okay, so let's talk about not screen not screenwriting. Um, What are some of your hobbies outside of screenwriting that help keep you sane?
2: Oh yeah, right. I saw that because I was like, (laughs) "The writers have hobbies. (laughs) There's no time.
0: There's no time." Yeah, it's hard to find them.
2: I do have a life. uh, uh, I don't know if it counts as hobbies, but there are things that I like to do when I'm not writing. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I do. I do love reading. I have lots of books. It seems like there's always another book arriving on my doorstep that I don't have time to read. But um, mm-hmm. I do love to read. I love to travel. You know, I love to go to new places. Mm. My husband grew up in France, so we do get to go back once mm. a year. And there's a garden at this family home. And I find I get some of my best ideas when I'm doing, like, heavy labor in mm. the garden. Because, like, yeah. it's like like a real like wild overgrown garden and True. uh it's like heavy duty work uh so i like that i like being immersed in nature mm-hmm. i like getting out and hiking mm-hmm. uh i love swimming uh, i mm-hmm. love riding my bicycle around brooklyn that's always mm-hmm. an inspiration i ride my bike and i sing to myself <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> i'm just another crazy brooklyn cyclist uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, because I like to see people every day. I like to get out of my room and take that yeah. walk and get my coffee, see other people living their lives, too. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I love the theater. Now that the pandemic has slowed a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I like I love live theater. Mm-hmm. I'm just always so inspired by people who do these live shows eight times a week. Mm-hmm. They act, they sing, they dance. They're just so incredibly talented. Yeah, and they they sometimes they do that twice a day
0: <laughs> right.
2: Uh, and so, yeah. so theater for me is always a huge inspiration. Mm -hmm. uh what's happening on broadway right now is really exciting i love to see the diversity i love seeing all these stories being reinvented for so many different kinds of voices um so yeah i like getting out and seeing the world when i when i can um -hmm. um being with friends i don't know Mm -hmm. if those are hobbies but
1: (laughs) no i think they all are they're all hobbies for sure and um yeah i think it's really, really important, as you know, most of us know, and you obviously know, <clears throat> as writers to get out and be around other humans, because that's that's what we're writing about. Right. We're writing about humans in the world. Um right. So meeting those new interesting characters or just seeing the way people are and sometimes the not so great aspects of people or, you know, the really beautiful aspects of people and just taking it all in. You kind of have to be a real keen people watcher to do this.
2: Oh, I, lo- I love that. I love people. And yeah, mm-hmm. when I was in LA, I just, every cab ride I had was another like, <laughs> beautiful experience because yeah. people driving, uh, you know, driving the lifts and Ubers were mm-hmm. all like fascinating. Maybe this is something about LA and New York, but like they're all fascinating people with great stories. And yeah, uh, yeah I think you know, there's so many ways to connect with people and you, you have to do that. Um, -hmm. I mean, you need the, the quiet and the isolation to get things done, but you have to keep Mm -hmm. refilling your well and remembering you're a human being and not a machine. This stuff isn't automatic, no matter Mm -hmm. how much pressure you put on yourself, you still, you need that starting point, you know, in your life, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: uh, that's going to inform, you know, what you're, what you're doing, you know, these choices don't come out of nowhere. Um, These choices come out of your lived experience, always.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, so of the scripts that you've written, I'm going to make you choose one of your babies here. Uh, Of the scripts that you've written, which is your favorite and why?
2: Yeah, I thought about this. This is such a hard question. (laughs) It is. I know. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I'll say the age of desire. It's my most recent pilot. I think it's really close to my heart because. I wrote it completely out of passion uh, for this story and for this character's journey. My protagonist is, she's an artist, she's a singer. She's trying to find her way through this man's world and be true to her voice and who she wants to be as a woman and an artist. And it's not easy. Uh, There are a lot of doors that are closed to her. She has mm-hmm. to form alliances with other women and other male allies in her world uh, to begin to realize who she is. And it, it's just, so it's a really personal s- story for me, but it also has like all the things I love. It has, mm-hmm. it has psychosexual drama, it has has tender, intimate, you know, love scenes. It has Mm -hmm. violence, (laughs) it has melodrama, Mm -hmm. it has artists, Uh, it has people living on the verge, people who are very damaged but still deserve to be loved. Um, Mm -hmm. So it has all those elements that I I really enjoy Mm -hmm. digging into. And I think because it really was, it wasn't something where, you know, my manager said, oh, that script, and that's why I'm going to sign you. But it is the script that I've been pitching through Roadmap uh, mm. for about a year, maybe a little less than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, And I was a little wary going out because it's a queer female protagonist, period. I know period is really hard to produce always. And right now, some people won't even look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had mentors and peers who said, but you're so passionate about this story and that Mm. passion is what will connect you to other people and Mm. whether or not this is the right script to be sold right now, Mm. they're going to learn who you are through this. And I'm so glad I listened to that because Mm -hmm. that is what built my base of people who believe in me and that I can turn to now and say, will you read this script or, i'm trying out this new idea and uh and so it made a lot of great connections for me um
1: yeah producible or not a strong sample goes a long way it does yeah
2: it really does um and
1: you know there's a lot of period stuff on tv so who's to say you know that it wouldn't work out so yeah but i i know what you mean though it's that classic thing of period is tough um So what's a recent accomplishment that you're proud of? It could be screenwriting related, but it doesn't have to be. And I'm going to pressure you and say it can't be getting a new manager because we all know that you're very proud of that. We're all proud of you. Uh, Uh, What's something else, though?
2: um, uh, Yeah, I'm really proud of where my son is. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm just always bursting (laughs) with pride Uh because how did I, you know... uh, you know, and I didn't, you know, it's, I have a, a great husband who helped me raise this child. My mm-hmm. child, you know, also has advocated for himself and worked so hard, but I'm so proud of where he is and
0: mm-hmm.
2: that he's becoming his own person and making his own choices
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, discovering his own life. And he's a good listener. I, I noticed that like his friends turn to him, you know, when they need someone to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And, oh, that's uh, sweet. I just, so I love that. I love that, yeah, and I yeah. and I loved, I'm also proud that I just get out of bed every day, and uh, I said, I'm going to keep doing this uh, because mm-hmm. I can think of all the reasons why. Go, just go get another job, or retrain yeah. something else. Uh, mm-hmm. There are easier paths in life. You're trying to play for the Yankees. You're insane, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so I'm really proud that I just kept doing it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the, re-
1: the regret would kill us.
2: Yeah. There's no guarantee. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody owes you anything. There's no guarantee. The hard mm-hmm. work doesn't necessarily have to result in, you know, the goal that you think it's going to result in. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, not always being focused just on those big goals, like a manager or selling something, mm-hmm. but being focused on what you can do every day. Uh mm-hmm. So that's I'm proud of. I focused on that. You know what I could do every day. Yeah. Um,
1: those are great answers. I love that, um, and I'm proud of you for both of those things. Thank you. Um, of course. So we've reached the end, <laughs> Suzanne. What are a few words of advice that you would give to your fellow screenwriters out there, especially those just getting started?
2: Um, yeah, I would say, you know. I do see people who come right out of film school and they get signed within months. And that's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm so happy for them. It may not happen like that for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Life intervenes, uh, all kinds of things can, you know, send you on a zigzag journey. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that when I go to conferences and I, I interact with peers who are say my age, Mm -hmm. Uh, so think of the folks over 40, Mm -hmm. a lot of them have had careers that have zigzagged, you know, it Mm -hmm. isn't always like a direct line between I want to write screenplays. I want to sell them. I want to be a working writer in Hollywood. Um, and a lot of that zigzagging and doing different things ends up informing your work and making you the person that you are making you this, this special, everyone is special uh Mm -hmm. even before you begin your journey you're special but uh Mm -hmm. all those things all that life experience you accumulate is going to make you a better writer Mm -hmm. and uh is going to make you uh, you know uh, give you your voice your very special personal voice and that's Mm -hmm. what in the end the industry will also treasure is exactly who you are. Don't try to Mm -hmm. be somebody else. Don't think, oh, well, that person's life story is so much more interesting than mine. You you can't be anybody but who you are. And Mm -hmm. actually, you're more fascinating than you may think. Um, Mm -hmm. Just be Mm -hmm. absolutely true to that voice Mm -hmm. um, and write the stories you're passionate about. It may take you some time. It may take you more rewriting than you thought you had to do. It may take more samples than you thought. A lot of Mm -hmm. people who are successful, they just kept writing sample after sample. I'm reading this book now, um, The Writer's Room. I recommend Mm -hmm. this. This It's full of great war stories about The Writer's Room, but Mm -hmm. also about um, how she had to keep writing sample after sample until it was the right one, you know, the Mm -hmm. right one the right time. Um, So you don't know which is going to be the story that hits. You don't. But if you have a story you want to tell, just keep telling them, find that time, any time that you have to tell it. And so what if it takes you longer than someone else? You know, so what if someone gets signed before you do? Yeah. It, it, that's not the measure of your worth. You
1: know? No, no, yeah. no. And so, as two people who, you know, kind of were able to climb that mountain and get a manager you see it even more clearly now that like that it doesn't it doesn't that doesn't mean anything like the speed at which you arrive there um and we see this you know it happens in sports a lot it happens in film careers a lot some people come on really really strong and really hot out of the gate and then they kind of fizzle out um for whatever reason and i'm never rooting against anyone like that but i'm just saying like like you said, you know, a, a long rumination period of, you know, working regular jobs and, you know, doing this and that and raising a family like you and uh, things like that, they're all going to make your work more rich in the long run.
2: Yeah, no, it's um, yeah. Having experience does, it does actually count for something. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's never, that's never a negative. I mean, I think you never stop being an artist I mean, mm. lots of great artists are I mean, they're filmmakers who are working in their nineties, you know. They're how old yeah. is one there now? Is he a hundred and one?
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I think about that all the time. Like Paul Schrader is quite up there and he's still making movies and is obviously still making make movies. Um it's I don't
2: think there's an expiration date and uh, there's not. Um the other great thing is you you really know who you are in your unafraid to be that person. So I'm not going to go into a meeting and think I have to please them. You know, I have to be who they want me to be. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go in. I don't have those kinds of nerves anymore. I just go Mm -hmm. in, I tell my story. I am who I am (laughs) to quote Popeye. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, and I think that's really better, you know. Uh, It
1: is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's something to getting older and you know, being comfortable with who you are more than you ever have been before. And, um, I feel like I'm still in the thick of that journey and just starting to feel that for the first time of like that real, just comfort, um, with, this is who I am. This is, this is what we turned out as dude. So we're either going to roll with it or I don't know what we're going to do, you know? So, um, but like choosing to roll with it, you know,
2: I'm so happy for you Uh, and your journey because your journey is
1: incredible. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah. You know, um, we, we use what we got. Right. And it's funny how a lot of times I think probably for a lot of writers out there, the thing that you thought was one of the worst attributes about you ends up being like a strength in writing, Mm -hmm. like, you know, just, you know, you know, rough experiences that you'd been through that gave you, you know, an anxiety complex or, you know, that, really you know horrible depressive episode that you went through that was years long and you didn't you just felt so less than for such a long time if you can find a way to express that through writing it can be such a powerful tool that is so unique and also i can't think the beautiful thing in that is that you could make that movie that that kid sees who's experiencing that similar thing and it's going to be that ray of light that they needed to get through and feel seen. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing. We're really lucky to be able to do this, you know? Um,
2: Yeah, no, I feel that too. I I know sometimes my biggest supporters are young women and Mm -hmm. that makes me so happy (laughs) Mm -hmm. that they see something in a story I write that they relate to. And I wish, you know, I'd had these kinds of stories that we're seeing now uh, in the television landscape, you know, more and more. About women, about mm. complex women. Uh, yeah. uh, I wish I'd seen that when I was young, and uh, yeah. I want to be a, even a small part of that, you know, change. Uh, it's it's great connecting with uh, with people who see their experience in your story.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, Suzanne, it has been an absolute pleasure finally getting to Thank talk you. to you Thank after you, like Andrew. three years of being internet friends.
2: Yes. Um, I've enjoyed your presence so much on Twitter and your humor and you make me laugh so often.
1: Oh, well, thank <laughs> it's you. Great I...
2: It's great you're there.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying. Yeah. Uh, well, I will let you get on with your day, but again, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Andy. Take care.
1: All right. Y'all episode 30 is in the books. I want to thank Suzanne Griffin for coming on the show. Great episode, great insights, so fun to actually get to learn about her beyond her tweets. Like I said, we've known each other for like three years now and haven't really had a real conversation, and it was really awesome, and she's so great, Um, and congratulations again to her for landing a manager. I'll say, guys, before before I let you go here, if you haven't watched Captcha, please do. I would really appreciate it. It's on my YouTube channel. Like it um share it you know subscribe to the youtube if you're not already um and i just really appreciate all the support um these episodes i'm trying to keep them coming i think i'm recording on monday today is thursday april 19th i'm gonna try to drop this tomorrow um i'm really like bad in the sense that like it's april thursday april 19th at 8 35 p.m central time and i just hit up suzanne like hey send me a picture i think i want to drop your episode tomorrow which is horrible short notice and i've done that to so many of my guests and i really apologize but it's kind of like when i find a minute to do these i just try to get them edited and uh put up for you so um thank you for listening i really really appreciate it spread the word about the podcast you know spread the episodes cheer on all the writers i have on here cheer on all the writers that you know in your little social circles on the internet or in real life uh we're all in this together um that's about it guys take care of yourselves i'll talk to you next time uh, bye bye the social screenwriters podcast the social